What I've learned over the last couple years being an entrepreneur, I think, is completely invaluable. Like going through it, it's amazing. Like who I am today versus two years ago, having you know run this business and learned what I've learned, and I just think like it's going to set me up well to do whatever I want to do in the future, regardless of the company. You're listening to episode number four of the Young Founders Podcast, hosted by myself, Riley Farbaugh, as well as my good friend and colleague, Nate Boland. On this episode of the podcast, we've got Chaz Smith. Chaz, as well as his cousin Nikita, are fifth generation Vermont maple farmers. Together, they've co-founded Sap Beverages. Sap has been featured in USA Today, Country Living, Food and Wine Magazine, as well as several other publications. Their products were listed in Whole Foods Top Trends for 2018. And earlier this year, March, I believe, of 2018, uh, Chaz and Nikita made an appearance on NBC's Shark Tank with famed investors Robert Herjavec, Barbara Corcoran, Mark Cuban, Lori Greiner, and Rohan Oza. The pair ultimately turned down an offer from Herjavec for 30% of their company, valuing the business at close to $2 million. You can find their products online at sapvt.com or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at DrinkSap. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thank you for having me. Happy <laughs> to be here. We're excited to have you on. Um, talk about you know what, what it's been like founding the business and you know one of our favorite questions is take us from the idea to first revenue to when you realized the idea might actually work. Sure, so uh, Nikita and I come from a very big Vermont family that's been in the maple and broader forestry industry for a long time, really over 50 years at this point. So we have, first of all, have an expertise um, in um, maple and forestry products, and now specifically maple and birch sap, which is what we make our beverages out of. So we've always uh, had this as part of our identity. Um, it's been part of our family for a long time, like I said. So really in about 2013, 2014, we started seeing some companies selling maple water, maple sap as a beverage. And we thought it was kind of funny because we've been making those kind of products in our family for years for family parties or events or whatnot. And it prompted us to look at, you know, why are companies doing this and what does that opportunity look like? And what we realized was the beverage industry was changing dramatically, really overnight, a $70 billion industry that um, was just constantly changing with almost $2 billion a year going into newer, healthier beverages. And the product category that really exploded uh, was coconut water and really led a path towards healthier hydration and really nutrient-rich plant-based beverages. So as we sort of started identifying that opportunity, we put a product in a can, got some prototypes, and did what I think traditional uh, entrepreneurs do, which is you know get a first store to carry it, which was City Market in downtown Burlington, uh, learn a little bit about what customers were perceiving from it, and just constantly iterating until we felt like we had something that we could start to scale. And it's really taken over two years, almost two and a half years, to really understand the opportunity fully and to come out with a new set of products that are really ready for the market, which I can talk more about. So relating to that question, um, if you could go back in time, what would you have done differently? I think there's, you know, for a lot of young entrepreneurs, it's definitely uh, a little starry-eyed at the beginning. And um, more than anything, you know, it just takes constant hard work and hard truths about your products and, um, you know, what's working, what needs to change. And I think more than anything, there's not... 
there's not a lot. I, I really, I'm really a strong believer that you have to go through the experience itself to learn rather than like, there's no like instant hacks. I think the, the one thing that we could have done differently is really probably shorten the learning curve even more. I think just talking, talking, talking to more and more people, being really honest about the products is going to lead to sort of a, a faster iteration around having something that's a better market fit because you're almost always going to be wrong at first. You're going to come in with a hypothesis. Some parts of it are going to work. Some parts are going to need to be tweaked. And the faster you can iterate and find something that really fits, uh, the better. So I think for us, you know, there's... I'm really happy we've been through this whole process. We've been fortunate to have a little bit of a runway to learn and do that. But I think for some entrepreneurs who don't have that kind of time luxury, um, you just have to really be as honest and you know truthful as you can about the, the product market fit and try to iterate as fast as possible. So you guys launched to one store, City Market, in 2015. Yeah, how like many late stores, 2015. Yeah. How many stores are you in now? Um, I would say by the spring we'll be in a little under 2,000 stores. That's great. And uh, you launched with one product or three products? We initially launched with three products. Um, by the spring we had gotten rid of one of them and redone the packaging on two of them. Uh, we soon thereafter added a Birchwater product, which we basically, so we, I consider it having, we sort of three flagship products. And so we really put that into the market in a broader way around New England for the last two years. and. I think we've realized they're always those products have done well and they're always going to do pretty well in New England, but they're sort of niche around you know people who really like maple products rather than it in rather than it being sort of a product that um, here, here let me back up and just say I think this is the difference. At first, we were trying to sell people maple sap and around you know hey why is that healthy and we thought maple water maple sap itself could become a category like coconut water in some sense. But I think what we've quickly realized is like what customers care most about is really the the better for you nutrient profile and don't necessarily care quite as much around like or there's just a big education gap around what we're really offering. So I think it's taking two years to understand what the opportunity really is. We're creating uh, the best version of sparkling water that's out there. And so pitching it more as a sparkling water that's better for you is easier than um, trying to sell someone birch water or maple water directly. So I think it's just taken some time to um, look at that fit and and understand what the opportunity uh, really was. And so. What are the benefits of drinking maple and birch sap? I mean, first of all, they're just very nutrient-rich products. So they come with, you know, a, a whole host of sort of basic min vitamins, minerals, nutrients. Uh, but secondarily, they have prebiotics, which are good for gut health. Um, uh, a lot of uh, hydration properties around the electrolytes and a lot of anti-inflammation and uh, anti-inflammatory uh, benefits around the antioxidant capacity in the products too. So we really look at it as a holistic health drink that can sort of make you, it, it give you that sort of hit of health every day that can be an upgrade from a traditional sparkling water product that really has zero nutrition or in some cases is made out of demineralized water and sort of weird chemical additives for flavoring. So I think what we're really trying to offer is an upgrade sort of a superfood sparkling water that is a few dollars more potentially per eight or 12 pack, but is really giving you sort of a hidden nutrition that the current category doesn't give you. Um, Chaz, you guys have been able to build a, a really cool brand and develop some uh, really great products. Um, Alex, who just walked into the room, uh, I know he does a lot of social media for you guys. Talk about um, 
how you guys have been able to use social media and the impact that that's had on your business? Sure, I just in in general with a product like ours, that's a beverage that's sort of. Uh, when you look at a distribution plan, it's it's pretty hard to move heavy beverages around the country. And traditionally, if you don't have a lot of money to start with that first, it's really hard to get out of your region, uh, let's say Vermont for us, uh, to really scale it in a big way without a lot of resources. So first of all, having access to e-commerce as a, a place of trial for folks that you know are outside of our district you know our retail distribution region has been a huge lift for us just in exposing the brand when you think about shark tank if we didn't have e-commerce the hit we would have gotten off that would have been minimal versus um, you know because it was available online we were able to really get it out to all 50 states and you know have a wide trial of the products across the country so the second piece of that is really you know for us we haven't even even for the company today, have we haven't really invested that much in sort of a sophisticated e-commerce uh, e plan that um, can really um, you know boost sales in a significant way. It's really just been a place where it's been available. But now that we're sort of able to utilize some more digital marketing tools and utilizing social media, obviously to sort of promote the brand, um, it just creates one more awareness of what we're doing, why it's important. Um, but it also, I think, has built. Um, sort of a, I don't know if you would call it like a, a cool factor or like a, I, I think it's, it's a way to kind of display who you are and what you care about. And for us, that is a lot of sort of the sustainability and forestry aspects, you know, combined with sort of a, a healthy consumer product. And we've been able to really drive that message across our social channels. And I, I think we've done a good job with it, but we, we have so much more potential even as we start focusing on it more and having more resources to put into it. Um, and with the eventual goal of really creating that strong connection between sort of our owned media, you know, website, um, Instagram, you know, the socials and having that really drive e-commerce, whereas they're sort of working in parallel, but not in a sophisticated way as of right now. Mm -hmm. So talk about your experience on Shark Tank. Uh, I feel like that's like one of the goals that many entrepreneurs have today is to be on Shark Tank or a show yeah. like Shark Tank. Um, so maybe talk about the steps of how you were able to get on there and then how it was actually pitching to those investors. Sure. So we were very lucky. They reached actually the, the folks from Shark Tank reached out to us. They had an open slot um, last summer and completely randomly through our website reached out. And we actually, actually at first thought it was a joke and was a scam. Uh, quickly realized that it was a real opportunity. And from the time they contacted us to the time we were filming, it was about a three week period. So we had very minimal time to prepare, or even sort of understand what we should be doing in some ways. And so I think we were in the fortunate position of not needing uh, to take a deal on Shark Tank, whereas a lot of entrepreneurs really, you know, that could be their main shot at funding. So we went in, I think, a little bit more relaxed or at least not as concerned like, hey, we need to take a deal if it comes up. We really weren't going to accept anything unless we really uh, felt like we had a, a good offer in front of us. So the experience itself, I think it's, you know, reflecting on it was a, a, a really a, a formative experience for the company and for Nikita and I to really have to, you know, defend the brand and, you know, take a hard look at, you know, what's, you know, get, getting some like very good feedback and some very hard feedback about, you know, what you know how you know what we should really be doing with the company where the products are working what we really really needed to tweak and so i think it just i think clarified for us a lot of that experience back you know it was a long time ago at this point it was really august or september of 2017 um when we filmed it i think it we had we had all these ideas in our head about where we wanted to take the company and going through that experience really made us 
I think grow up a little bit as a company and really understand you know what the course needed to be. So I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's a great a great place for exposure. It's certainly not an end all be all. It's certainly you know we think about three million people saw our episode, and if you're ready to seize that opportunity, go for it. What I would also say is like you also you want to go on Shark Tank also when you can best maximize your return. So if you're too early and you don't really have an e-commerce presence and you're not really ready to sell your products in a broad way, like why not just wait a little bit longer until you have a more established company then go on Shark Tank and try to fully be ready to leverage the opportunity into real growth. I think we did okay with that, but even so I would have liked us to be a little bit further along with our sort of uh, digital strategies because I think we could have taken even better advantage of it. But overall, it's a great experience. I think we had a lot of fun doing it. I definitely sort of blacked out a little bit while we were uh, <laughs> filming, but but overall, it was you know I look back very fondly on that. I think it's been big for the company and really helped the exposure of the brand. Um, Nate and I see yourself, Chaz, as well as uh, Alex and Nikita in VSet on a fairly regular basis. Um, talk about how you've been able to build your team and, and your company culture and, and what that's meant for your business. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a daily evolution, I would say. And when, I think when you start a company, I mean, Nikita and I started it together and you know, we're cousins and we have a lot of faith and trust in one another. And I, I see that as sort of like, you need such a solid foundation uh, of trust to start any company. I think it's, it can fall apart so quickly if there's not trust between the founders. And I see that as like one of our strongest points through, through highs and lows. If you if you really trust each other to not screw each other over, I think you need sort of this basis. <laughs> if you're gonna have a partner to, to start a business, I think it's so important. And then building from there, I think it's finding people who you know are excited about the opportunity and really believe in, in what you're doing and what, you, in what you're building. And you know, Alex is our first employee. Um, and continues to be <laughs> our most important employee in, in many ways. And building out a team, I think for us in 2019, as we scale, you know, we've been really, we have, we have a few really great employees, but we also have sort of a network of folks that help us outside of the business, you know, consultants, brokers, distributors. I mean, there's so many people involved outside of our core team that are helping to build the brand. I think as we look into 2019 and one of our big, goals is to really build more of a company culture, add add some more direct employees, and sort of build a real team, whereas like right now it's all, all hands on deck doing a little bit of everything, building some more structure into the business, I, I find to be a pretty big challenge just because you don't, there's no one right way to do it. There's no, like, there's, there's a lot of examples to go out of, but ultimately you have to figure out like the best fit for your company and, and who's gonna fit and who's not and how it all works. So for us, building structure and more formality is gonna be a challenge, but a very crucial piece for us as we grow further and further outside of New England, especially. So talk about the vision for the company. Where do you see yourselves in five or 10 years? And you, know, you mentioned it's been a challenge kind of scaling outside of Vermont or New England. Um, where do you see yourselves going? Yeah, I think uh, I would. We've all sort of had three phases to the business that we sort of envisioned. The first is really taking a couple of years to really figure out the opportunity and what the product fit really needs to be, and we sort of are coming through that. We now feel like we have a set of uh, what I would call sparkling water products that are really going to be competitive throughout the country and. Uh, really competitive in the category itself. So I feel like we now have a set of products and a brand that 
we can invest a lot of money behind. Uh, whereas before, I think we're still trying to figure out, okay, are these the products that we want to scale or do we need to do something a little bit different? So now that we've sort of decided on that and feel really good about it, um, I think we the next goal is to really build it more into a company that, you know, along, you know, I think from traditional industry standards, you would look for about $10 million in revenue to sort of hit that uh, full legitimization point in the market. So uh, to build from where we are to that isn't a crazy concept at all. It's going to take a little bit more money and, and a lot of energy to do that. But I think the next phase is to, to scale the brand a little bit um, into like a real player um, in the category across the country. And then the third phase beyond that would to really be to scale it into a lot of the large, more mainstream retailers to build it into more of a you know fifty to a hundred million dollar brand, which is very it's challenging but not crazy because a lot of it is about scale, right? If you have the distribution and you have the sales network, it becomes sort of a and you have a great brand and a great marketing strategy. It's sort of a a plug and play around where you can find that growth. So for us, the next phase is really legitimizing the business, really building it into a um, higher revenue generating business where we can hire more employees. And then, you know, I, I, don't, I think we're undecided if this is something that we would want to sell or, or hang on to. I think there's still some work to do for us on really understanding that. What we do know is this is such a brutally competitive category. You, if we're going to really try to scale it, um, we're going to need resources to do that. And ultimately for us, what I think it really comes down to is we really want to source as much sap as we can out of Vermont uh, to really create a whole forestry industry around this that could benefit you know, thousands of people across the state and really create a whole new working landscape industry. So for us, I think if we can find ways to, to scale it sort of in the, in, in the vision that we see it and really have that impact that we want, um, we're going to be open to sort of all opportunities that, uh, that come up. So what advice would you give a young founder with an idea um, and how might that advice change as the business evolves? Um, I think there's a lot of ways to sort of, but I, I think you just got to really investigate the opportunity in depth and be very honest about it. Like, I, I think there's so many people that have great ideas that are just one or two degrees off from really being viable business ideas. But like the original thing that you think of is almost always not going to be exactly what, <laughs> what ends up happening, like almost never. So I just, you have to be very open-minded that your idea is going to change and that like the, the real opportunity might just hit you in the head one day. And the, the, the more you talk about it with people and the more you just try to be honest about it and not try to like hide bad news or like be dishonest about something you read online that could be a competitor. I mean, I think you just have to be really clear in your mind that it's a good idea <laughs> and, and and not be, uh, you know, deluding yourself at all. So, and I think it's, and again, like for us, we had a great concept to start and it's going to, you know, it's, it's similar in a lot of ways. It's just the product market fits a little bit different now that we've taken a couple years to understand that. Um, but that's, that's just how it works. And I think just being as honest as you can um, and energized as you can around it to talk as many people to as many people as you can is going to be the thing to do. So. Uh, last couple of questions as we wrap up here, Chaz. Appreciate you coming on. Um, <laughs> a lot of good stuff coming out of this. We could probably go for another hour if we, <laughs> if we had time. Um, I would love to get Nikita on the podcast at some point and maybe Alex as well. So maybe we'll have a, a second edition of the SAP podcast uh, on Young Founders. But um, 
Last couple questions. Uh, what's the biggest mistake that you've made in building your business? Um, I mean, I think there's dumb. I think we've wasted money on dumb stuff. Don't get me. But like, that's also just part of it. Like, you have to go through. I think we've, you know, with hiring, we've looked at some people that you know. Again, we spent some money on that weren't quite the right fit. I wouldn't call it a mistake though. I think it, so a lot of this stuff is like. How do you minimize your financial mistakes early? Like that, that would be a big piece of advice. Like how do you like just be more conservative around money than you think you need to be? Because like, again, like your, your concept and idea is gonna shift a little bit and you really wanna be scaling what, you know, is really the right product market fit rather than what you have early necessarily. I think for us, if we were, and again, I, I, we've made plenty of mistakes along the way, don't get me wrong. Like there's a million things that I would do slightly differently. But I'm just a big believer that you have to go through the process of making little mistakes to, to get to where you ultimately want to go. I think there's, if I could, you know, if I like really pinned it down to one thing, um, you know, I think we could just, we could have gotten to where we are faster. Like I, that's all. I think we could have hacked that to, to be a lot faster and, and more honest about the products early on. So that, that would be what I would say. So what's the worst advice you've ever been given or heard given to someone else? <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I've probably heard a lot of, uh, a lot of bad advice in, in my days. I mean, um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of being, of like doing things differently or like being a, you know, trying to be, being a leader rather than a follower in a lot of ways. And, you know, everyone, everyone feels different about that kind of stuff. And I don't know that it's bad advice, but I think, you know, people told me to go to law school and, you know, I think that would have been a, a disaster for me. So maybe, maybe I would, <laughs> maybe I would say that, but I just think overall people have to find, you know, what they're passionate about and like how best they, they work. And, um, you know, really like what they do every day. It's not easy to find that in a lot of ways. And I've certainly taken a lot of like personal and financial risk to build this business. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, it could all fall apart and, you know, I could, you know, it could be bad, but I, I would, what I've learned over the last couple of years being an entrepreneur, I think is completely invaluable. Like going through it, it's amazing. Like who I am today versus two years ago, having, you know, run this business and learned what I've learned. And I just think like it's going to set me up well to do whatever I want to do in the future, regardless of the company. Yeah, well said. Uh, last question here, Chaz. What is your definition of entrepreneurship? <laughs> it's interesting because, like, you know, this is a word that gets thrown around all the time. And, you know, I really associate entrepreneurship with a person who has a great idea who wants to scale it into, um, you know, a, a viable business. And I think an entrepreneur is someone who is, you know, innovative, thinking differently, trying to bring new ideas and, and scaling them. Um, in you know entrepreneurship is sort of the practice of taking a, a small idea and trying to make it big and um, everyone's got a different definition but I, I really think it's it's about someone who is trying to to grow something great and um, is gonna you know have the balls to get out there and try to do it it's it's a it's not easy but it's you just learn so much from from the experience of doing it and I'm, I'm a big proponent of entrepreneurship and feel like there's um, you know, the world would be a much better place if people could try to take their ideas and, and um, 
and scale them. I, I think you know, the more people that are out there thinking differently, the better the world's going to be <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I hope we can continue to find more avenues here in the state and you know across the country for promoting people taking risks um, on their own ideas and trying to work for themselves and trying to trying to build their dreams. It's it's hard in a lot of ways for people to to make the leap to do that. And I've certainly been in a very unique position that's given me the opportunity to do that. Um, I just I want more people to be able to like try to pursue their their ideas and dreams and just a big proponent of trying to make that happen in general and having people go through that process yeah that's great um i really admire what you're doing Chaz, for for the state of vermont for sustainable agriculture for uh healthy alternatives to soda um i think your company is making a big impact and uh, we wish you nothing but success going forward. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, catch us on the next one as well. Hey folks, it's Riley Farbaugh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Young Founders Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, if you got any value from it, please help spread the word, post a screenshot to your Instagram story, tell us what episodes you've been listening to on Twitter, share an episode with your Facebook fam, text someone a link, to an episode if you think they benefit from it. And please leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Anything you guys can do to help us out is so helpful to us and very, very much appreciated. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Riley Farah. Find Nate at NT Bowl. You can also find every episode of the Young Founders podcast at theyoungfounders.com. We've also compiled a bunch of resources there to help you guys out on your journey towards creating a profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling business for yourselves. And if there's anything Nate and I can do to help you guys out along the way, please reach out to us. We both love connecting with other young entrepreneurs and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Also, if you think you or someone you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the podcast, let us know that also. We're always looking for cool new guests. You can DM us or go to theyoungfounders.com slash apply and fill out the short form there. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Young Founders Podcast. We'll see you next time.